And so if you turn your attention now to the third chapter, we're going to finish up uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. And while we do that, I want to remind you that before you are in the elements of communion, it is Communion Sunday. It's a time that we as the body of Christ, we as believers, those who have named the name of Jesus Christ as Lord and as Savior, uh, thank the Lord for the sacrifice that was made for us at Calvary's cross. If you're visiting with us and you're here today and you've come and you do not know the Lord Jesus, you've never invited him into your life, uh, before these elements get to you, the good news is to believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ is to be saved. And, and that invitation that Christ makes to you, I will make right now to you. Scripture is very clear that if you will ask Christ into your life, he will come into your life and, and he will forgive you of your sin and he will cleanse you from all unrighteousness, 1 John 1, 9. That door is open. Revelation 3.20 says, the Lord stands and he knocks. And so if that's you today, this is for believers only. So if you would simply ask Jesus Christ into your life, you would say to him, I am a sinner. I recognize you're the only Savior. I'm inviting you to come in and be my Lord, to forgive me of my sin, to implant the Holy Spirit in you, and then to write your name in Islam's book of life in heaven. Uh, you have invited Christ into your life, and this becomes your supper as well. If you feel like you do not know the Lord, then I would simply ask you to do this. Just allow the tray to pass by, because this really is for believers. And in fact, so much so that Paul, as he wrote to the church at Corinth, reminded us that we're not to partake of the Lord's Supper in an unworthy manner, for to do so is to bring condemnation upon ourselves. And so because it is a sacred time, it is a holy time, it is a time for the church to celebrate what the church has received in Christ Jesus, uh, we would encourage you to give your life to Jesus and join with us. But if you feel not, then please uh, don't shame the Lord by partaking if you don't know him. As you turn your attention now to this remaining three verses of, of chapter 3, we find a message here, and it's really contained in just three words in these three verses because they're all the same word. And it is trusting God. And it is a message we need for today. And before we dig in and we'll, we'll read these, these passages together, I would simply say this to you. I, I think that many of us have a tough time trusting God. And the reason that I know that is we say we trust God, but then we act as though we don't. Uh, we, we say that we fully trust God, but then we turn right around and we try and help God out. Amen? Anybody ever do that? I, ah, you guys would never try and help God out. But we do. Sometimes we say we trust God, but what we really are doing is saying, God, I want you to bless my plans. You see there in Proverbs chapter 16 and verse 9, it says, the heart of man makes his plans but the Lord ordains his steps. And here's the picture. You see, I know that to get out that door over there, I have to go that way. And when I say, Lord, would you please ordain my steps? It's this. It's one in front of the other. And Lord, you tell me where you want each foot to go. That's me giving him control. Even though I've made my plan that that's the door I'm going out of. God, if you want me to go behind there, then you have me go behind. If you want me to go that way to get out, then you tell me to go that way and I'll go that way. But you put one foot, Lord, 
You put one foot in front of the other, whatever you want me to do and wherever you want me to go. Notice here, and let's read these, th- these three verses. We'll pick up in verse 11 here in First Thessalonians 3. And it says, Now, nay, and please underline that word, circle that word, highlight that word, may. You're going to see it in all three verses. May. There's not a question there. There's not doubt there. There is a resignation that there's only one person who can make this come to pass in the very best way. Now, Lord, you... Your will be done. Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus Christ, notice it, direct our way to you. That word direct there is actually two Greek words, and it means to make straight. Now do you see it? If you know a little bit of basic geometry, you know that it takes exactly three points to make a straight line. There's point A, there's point B, and there's a reference point in between them. And if you take that reference point, and the straighter it is, the shorter the distance. You see, we're asking God to make straight. If I want to go to Oregon, I get on the five. Why? Because it's straight, really straight, really boring. It goes from here to there. It goes right up the middle of the state, right? Now, if I want to take the scenic route, then I go around the eastern Sierras and up through Lake Tahoe and then down around to Mount Lassen and I go over to Shasta. I don't take the straight route. You see, God has a perfect plan. The perfect plan is the straight route where he ordains the steps from point A to point B that's as short as it can possibly be. And so that is in view in these three verses. And may the Lord make you increase and abound in love to one another and to all just as we do to you. You see, look, God, you have to ordain my steps. God, you give me the love necessary to get me from point A to point B. And then thirdly, verse 13, so that he may establish your hearts in blamelessness and holiness. You see, the only way that any of us in this room are blameless and holy is because of the sacrifice of the cross. The righteousness that we now have is not my righteousness or yours. It's his And it was given to us as a gift because of what he did at Calvary's cross. His broken body, his shed blood. And so the picture is, so he may establish. That that means to set a firm foundation. To establish, to dig deep, to place in your life a firm foundation in your heart that is blameless, that is holy before our God. And Father, at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all of his saints. You see, we're going to turn our attention here in this wonderful book to the very last days. To that time when the Lord will peek his head through the clouds and announce with a trumpet, and the dead in Christ shall rise and meet him in the air. The way you have confidence, the way you are established and waiting for that day, is that you believe that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And so we wait because he's already made us holy by the blood of the Lamb. He's already made us righteous because of what he did at the cross. Not because you're righteous, because he's righteous. And so this beautiful picture of us trusting God for our past. Oh, praise God, he's wiped out our past sins. Amen? Oh, hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Amen? We are not what we used to be. We're not what we're going to be fully, but we're not what we used to be. Praise God he took care of today. Amen? I have to trust God to take care of my today. My tomorrow is also in view here. 
I want God to take care. I'm going to trust him with my yesterday. I'm going to trust him with my today. And I'm for sure trusting him with my tomorrow. That's in view here in this passage. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you. Oh, Lord, we thank you that our past is in your loving hands. Our presence is in your tender care even right now. And Lord, we pray if there's anyone here that does not know you, that they would place their trust in you this very moment. Invite you, Jesus, into their life. That you would be their Savior and Lord. Forgive them of their sins and cleanse them from all unrighteousness and make them holy. Lord, we thank you for that and for our future. That not only do we have our past taken care of and our present taken care of, but our future is secure. You will establish us, Lord, as we trust in you. And so we give you this time, and as we begin to prepare our hearts to receive communion, to to be at your table, God, would you, from heaven, take our hearts and tenderize them, make them, Lord, able to receive your word in, in that wonderful state of blessedness because you love us. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Let me give you a little story. Now, probably some of you here in this room are old enough to remember when most every plane, if you were flying on a commercial flight, everybody remember, there's some of you in here that can remember when almost everything had four engines, you know, four jet engines, four prop engines, but most everything, if it was an airliner, was a four-engine plane. I want to give you a little story back in those days. If you've ever flown on a 747, those are four-engine jets. Kind of put your mind in the right place here. But I want to help you a little bit. There was a team of, uh, a group of Red Sox fans who got on a plane here in L.A. and they were heading back to Boston. They were flying on a 747, which is a four-engine jet. And, and all of a sudden, someplace over Arizona, the pilot's voice comes across the intercom. And he said, for those of you on the left side of the plane, you probably noticed that uh, there's smoke pouring out of one of our engines. Please pay no attention to that. It's perfectly Okay. Uh, We can still fly all the way to Boston on three engines, but we're probably going to be about 15 minutes late. They fly on a little further. They're now over Oklahoma. As they get over Oklahoma, uh, just to keep it real, those of you on the right side of the plane may have noticed there's smoke coming out of one of the engines, but really don't be alarmed. We can still make it to Boston, but we're going to be about 30 minutes late now. Someplace over Illinois, as they're on their way, the captain's voice comes on one more time. He says, I I hate to be the bearer of bad news, but a third engine has failed, and I don't want you to completely freak out over this. We can make it on one engine, but we're going to be about 45 minutes late. About that time, a couple of the passengers are talking to one another, and one of them says to the other, he says, boy, I hope we don't lose that fourth engine. We won't make it to the game on time. You see, some of us as believers kind of look at our trust in the Lord that way. We're kind of okay when one engine goes out. We may be sort of okay when two engines go out, three engines go out. We're kind of starting to get a little bit anxious and worried. But boy, when that fourth engine goes out, we're like, oh man, my plans are dashed. You see, let me tell you what those engines are. Your mind. You know, when, as long as you can think through it, you're okay. Your emotions, as long as you feel okay about what God's allowing or doing in your life, you're fine. 
You have a little bit of willpower, that third engine, your human will. As long as that's intact, you're okay with letting God pilot your plane. But boy, that fourth engine goes out. Your human strength, you can't do a thing about it. All of a sudden, ah, I don't know if we're going to make it to the game on time. You see, this passage begins to set us up for the Lord's table. Because God wants you to trust him when your mind is maybe saying one thing and the spirit saying another. When your emotions are saying one thing, but God's spirit is saying another. When your human willpower directs you one way, but God's spirit is directing you another way. And even when your human strength fails and all that's left is God's strength, God wants you to trust him. God wants you to trust him. And this is hard for us. It's hard for me. It's hard for us. You see, very often when we think of trust, we we kind of put it into a very small window. But really what's being said here, and, and the Greek words are actually used in a very specific way, it, it, it's, he's saying, I, I, Lord, I wish that you would do this. I have a desire. But more than that desire, I want whatever you desire. You see, the perfect place for us to be is when our human will comes in line with his perfect will. When those two things are the same. And that's where we as the body of Christ should live. That's how we should conduct ourselves while we're here on this earth. But very often we do allow our human emotions to get in the way. We allow our mind, our plans to get in the way. We have our own human willpower. It gets in the way, even our own physical strength. You see, I'm one of those people. I'm a planner. I have an A and a B. I have all the way to Z, and then I have Z 2.4. That's just the way I am. I'm wired that way. And I think through each one of those things. And can I tell you that it's good to be organized at times. You know, I'm deep in my heart. I'm still a Boy Scout. It's like I'm always prepared. I mean, I don't have a knife on me right now, but usually I do. (laughs) You know, I'm just prepared. I'm one of those people. You know, you show up someplace, you want me on your team, because I've probably got a flashlight and a first aid kit and a few other things inside of my sock. (laughs) That's not necessarily a bad thing, but when you begin to rest and hope and trust in your ability to logically think through all of the variables... When you allow your rest and your trust and your hope to be linked to how you feel about how you prepared, when you get your rest and your hope and your trust from how you prepared and how you think about how you prepared, and then ultimately, you know, kind of how you kind of sort of put your effort into it, and then you add to that the effort you actually did, when you start trusting in those things, you're heading for a problem. Because you're going to find something in life, probably lots of things in life, probably every day in life, that there are things you don't think about correctly. There are things you don't feel correctly. There are things you have no willpower or control over, and you will not have enough strength for everything that comes your way. 
That's why you need God. That's why we trust in him. You see, but God's speaking into our lives. The problem is we don't like sometimes what he says. You see, because God really, when you think about it, and, and again, don't take this too far, but it's, it's a truth. God only has three answers. Because he can answer yes, and he can answer no. So he can give you an affirmative answer or a negative answer. But the problem is, he doesn't give you either one of those all the time instantaneously. So you get that dreaded answer, wait. Anybody else hate waiting? I am the guy that, see, and I hate to admit this, a little transparency here. I, when I'm driving, I'm looking to go get fuel in my truck. I'm not looking at the cost of the fuel. I'm looking at how many people are waiting in line. I will pay the extra dime to not have to wait. I'm also the guy that drives up to the gas station. I look at the pump, and there's two people on every side of every aisle except for one. It's got one car on it, and I will drive around to the other side, and by the time I get there, God punishes me by putting somebody in that spot too. (laughs) Anybody else do that? You see, I, I don't like it when God tells me I need to wait. Maybe some of you are like that. God gives us affirmative answers. He does that very often by his word, doesn't he? Oh, he's given you a whole ton of answers already. You you don't have to ask God if it's okay if you move in with your boyfriend or your girlfriend before you get married. Do you know that? You don't need to answer. You don't need an answer for that question. God already told you about that. No appearance of evil. Fornication is fornication. It's not okay with God. So if you're playing house before you're married, not okay with God. He's already given you an answer. See, that's a, that's a no. If you're asking God if you're supposed to be kind, he's already told you that. Yes. If you're asking God if you should be angry all the time, he's already told you the answer to that. No. Should you be generous? Yes. You see what I'm saying? The more you know God's word, the more you have a whole bunch of things already answered for you. And in the rest of them, very often God gives you that third answer. Wait. I haven't quite worked out all the things yet, so Jeff, you need to wait. But God doesn't force us to trust him. You see, when I help God out, anybody else help God out? I help God out every once in a while. It's like, I'm tired of waiting, God, so I'm going to give it my best. We even say it. Well, I just gave it my best shot. God doesn't need your help. He doesn't need my help. He really wants to do everything. Can I give you a little secret? He holds the universe together. Just saying. So while you're running around trying to help God out, he's like, he didn't call you and ask you this morning, you know, Jeff, could you kind of help me with the tides? I lost control of one of the coasts. There's massive flooding in New England right now because the the moon's too close. He didn't ask you, did he? So he's pretty good at governing the universe. You can trust him with that. But see, he doesn't force us to trust him. He will let you have anxiety. He will let you have worry. He will let you fret. He will let you stomp your feet and get angry. God will let you do what you choose to do. 
In that sense, God is every bit a gentleman. He's not going to force his will on you because he wants his relationship with you to be one that's based in love, so he doesn't make you do it. He says, here's what's best for you. It's up to you to follow through. Here's the beautiful picture in all of this. As he does that, he's allowing you to have a part in all of this. He's allowing that testing of your faith, the testing of your trust, to produce something that we really need a lot of in our world, patience. When it has its perfect work, it leaves you complete and lacking nothing. You see, what he's saying is, look, would you please trust me? I have your best interest in mind. Matter of fact, I have the best interest of the entire world in mind 100% of the time. God doesn't ever, you know, he, he doesn't do what we do. We get up in the morning, we've had a bad day the day before, we get up, well, I'm just mad at the world. God doesn't do that. God hates sin, but he loves people. He loves us. He even loves the lost. And so everything he does is motivated by love. And so while non-Christians are trying to go it on their own, they're relying on their mind, they're relying on their emotions, they're relying on their willpower, they're relying on their human strength. We as the body of Christ actually have the Father's ear. I'm the father of two boys. I know my son's voice instantaneously. If in either of them were in this room and you all started yelling, I could pick out my son's voices in this room. Why? They're my kids. They're my sons. I know them. Your heavenly father knows your voice and he's listening. And you can trust him. He can find you wherever you are, whatever you're doing. Whatever your heart's cry is, he hears you. But to someone who doesn't know the Lord, someone who's never received the grace gift of the cross, then they're in that place that the prophet Isaiah actually talked about. Their iniquities have separated them from God. Their sins have hidden God's face. He's not listening in the same way that he, he can hear them, but he's attentive to the cry of his children. You can trust him. He's not going to let you down. But he won't force you to do that. He gives you the opportunity to test that relationship. And, and by the way, God is trustworthy beyond any question. Scripture is just completely filled with admonitions. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, amen? Most of you know that. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart and do not lean on your owners in all your ways. Acknowledge Him and He will. There's not one hint of doubt in that. It's a, if you will do this, Jeff, this is what you will get. If you'll let me in on the front end instead of putting me in on the back end, anybody ever do that with God? You cry out to him after you've messed up everything? Yeah, yeah, it's okay, you can admit it. Most of us have. Many of us still do. But he's saying, look, if you want a secret to this, trust me with your whole heart. Don't get so involved in your own plans is a way to help understand that Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 principle. Don't get so involved in your own plans that you forget to bring me in on those plans before you make them. 
And oh, by the way, once you make, if I tell you they're a mess, don't do it. Acknowledge who I am is what that verse says. He's God. In case you hadn't noticed, you're not. He's God. He's the sovereign king of the universe. And he actually does know what he's doing. He's not daft and he hasn't forgotten where you're at. He didn't somehow mysteriously, you ever have people do this to you? You move and you've sent them an address change like 50 times. And their, their, their answer to you when you, hey, how come you haven't called me? I lost your, an, your address. I lost your phone number. God will never lose your phone number. He will never lose your address. He knows where you live. Matter of fact, every nanosecond of your existence, God knows exactly where you're at. And oh, by the way, he even knows what you're thinking. He's trustworthy beyond question. And so that leaves us in that place of simply waiting for him to answer. Sometimes he doesn't answer affirmatively right away. Sometimes he doesn't answer negatively right away. Sometimes he's waiting for you to get in line with his will. Sometimes he's waiting for circumstances to be changed so that his perfect plan can come into view for you. You must wait on the Lord. Scripture declares to us that they that wait upon the Lord shall be renewed in strength. Your strength will be made new to even wait longer if necessary. And you'll be able to wait perfectly while you're waiting. The picture is, is when you give those things to God and you trust God, as God is working out his will and pleasure in all the rest of the other people, places, and things in your life. Now, you need to understand something. God's not only concerned about you perfectly as a person, but he's perfectly concerned about every person on the planet. So he's got a few things to work out. Amen? like 7 billion of us all at the same time along with all the nations tribes and tongues and so God's got a lot of things he's working on give him a little bit of time that's the one thing that's in your control see you can give God time to answer or you can take it into your own hands and suffer the consequences I suggest to you give him time Communion team is going to come forward. They're going to begin passing out the elements. The worship team is going to come back out. And again, I want to remind you, please, as the elements are handed out, you're going to receive first the bread and then the cup. Would you please hang on to both elements and we'll partake of them together. But you see, as God is ordering your steps, he's also ordering your starts and your stops along the way. He's not just ordering where your feet go. He's ordering the places that you're going to go. He's also ordering the people that you're going to go to and be with. The ones that you shouldn't be around. The ones that you should be around. God is at work doing something that if you actually thought about it, you would surely mess it up anyway. Because you'd have stops you're not supposed to take. You'd bypass, bypass, bypass places. If you say those two words together, you can make a new word. You'd bypass places you're supposed to stop. You'll end up with people that you should never be around, and you'll miss the people that you should be around. You you see, God has a perfect plan. We can't necessarily just simply trust our own intellect. We can't necessarily just trust ourselves in that sense. 
Too many people trust themselves over God. I've learned something as I've gotten older. God is trustworthy. My heart is still deceitfully wicked, desperate, and who can know it? Now, it doesn't mean that everything I do is wrong. It doesn't mean that every thought that I have needs to be readjusted. It means that I'm still easily deceived by my own self at times. Because I listen to my mind, I listen to my emotions, I listen to my will, and I eventually listen to my own strength. Now, before anybody gets too freaked out, that's pretty easy to do, isn't it? That's the human part of you. But there's a spiritual part of you as a believer. And that spiritual part is where this comes in. Where the cross comes in. Where your redemption comes in. Where the price was paid for you, paid for me at Calvary's cross. Because the reason that we can go to God, the reason that we can trust God, is because we're His children. We have been forgiven our sin. We have been cleansed. Now, as you receive the bread first, what's really in view when you stare at the communion table, when you look at these elements, is abundant love. God's will is always expressed in love. You would never have thought that the cross could have been love, but it's love. When you think about the cross, you think about the blessed Savior hanging on it. You you think about his broken body. You think about his shed blood, as well we should. But don't miss the central point. When he hung on the cross, he said, Father, forgive them. You, me, and everyone else on the planet. Forgive them. Forgive those Romans who nailed him to the cross. Forgive Pilate. Forgive Jeff. Forgive Jeff. For Jeff knows not what Jeff does. While we were yet sinning, actively engaged in sin, Christ died for us as the ungodly ones. So as you hold the the bread and as you'll receive in, in a few moments the cup, the Lord is the source of this love that's being multiplied out. And it's pictured through the sacrifice he made on the cross. You see, what was full to the brim was my sin. What was overflowing before the cross was my iniquity and yours. That's why the prophet Isaiah said he was pierced through for my iniquity. The chastisement of my peace was put upon Jesus. That's why when you hold this cracker, if you look down at it, if you gaze at it for a moment, you'll notice there's, it's broken. It represents his body that was broken for you. You'll also notice that there are tiny holes all through it. It's also been pierced. He was pierced. You'll also notice that it has some light spots and dark spots, for he was bruised for your iniquities. The matzah is a perfect picture of Messiah, sacrificed for us. And so it says there in verse 13, so that he may establish our hearts blameless in holiness. Do you know how your heart gets established in blameless and holiness? 
Because of the cross of Christ. Because in you dwells no perfect thing, no good thing. In me, the same. Without Christ, without the cross, there's no perfection for any of us. But because of the cross, because of his shed blood, you now stand before a holy God in blamelessness and righteousness. Can you imagine? Your sins past, your sins from today, and every sin that you will ever commit, even into the future, covered by the broken body and the shed blood. So much so that Scripture actually says, the book of Leviticus records the first instance, that without the shedding of blood, there is zero, none, no remission of sin. It took innocent blood to be shed. Christ shed his innocent blood for you on Calvary's cross. And so as you receive the cup, it's a picture of that blood. It's a picture of the price. It's a picture of redemption. It's a picture of the cleansing that happens when we say yes to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. In a moment, the worship team is going to begin to lead us. And as we're worshiping God, as we're worshiping the Lord Jesus, as we're thanking him in our hearts and in our minds, remember what he did for you. I'll remember what he did for me. We can remember together what he has done for us as the church. That he's made us right in the eyes of a holy God. There is blamelessness that's now yours. There is righteousness that's now yours. God looks at you as perfectly justified. No blot, no blemish, no spots, no necessity for judgment. Because your sins were judged on Calvary's cross.